0: You are joining us uh, at the wrap-up of our um, preaching series called um, Hi, It's Me, I'm the Problem, um, which, is, which got a laugh, laugh in the first service, but maybe everyone's a little bit grumpy here this morning. Now, it's, a, it's a little bit of a look at, hey, if you want to know like, the bad decisions that you make and the problems that you face and a whole lot of the things going on, generally we are complicit in most of our things. And what can we actually do about it? Like, what can we actually do different, to live the kind of lives we want, to make better decisions, and to stay in wisdom and faith and not be derailed. So this morning, I want to start by going, hi, my name is Matt, and I am the problem. When it comes to my relationships, I'm very often emotionally immature. Um, That's what I want to speak about this morning, how emotional maturity and not emotional immaturity is such a good place to live, um, especially when it comes to our relationships and those most important relationships to us so like every good preacher um, who's prepping to talk about this this week I had a good old fight with my wife of 10 years and Christy wanted me to tell you that um, I was right and I won Um, and so husbands if you need some coaching my rate's very reasonable you can come along afterwards and figure out how to do that now I'm teasing Um, it doesn't feel good eh? so I wonder what you like under those moments of relational stress When the pressure's on at work or with that friend or person in life group or your child or your parent or your significant other, how does it go for you when those relationships attempt to withdraw on your emotional maturity? Are you like a person who, when that moment comes, gathers the weapons? Because, you know, shoot first or get shot, right? Go in, guns blazing, try and win, try and seize control. Are you a person who runs away from those moments? Do you go very quiet? What are you like? when our relationships that are most important to us try to make withdrawals on our maturity. We get defensive or offensive. We reach into the suitcase of past hurts and arguments to try and bring some evidence from however many months or years ago to the party so that we can build a little bit of case, right? I'm sure I'm not the only one who does this and then goes, "Good night, love you. See you in the morning for round two. If it's your spouse, hopefully. I'm sure you can relate. There's some sort of a, was well, definitely, and we'll look at it in a minute, a desire for healthy relationships. We desire maturity. We know that it takes work. We know that it's not a math equation that can just be solved. It needs artistry, and it needs us being healthy, and it needs real work, and we desire it. We want to be on a trajectory towards healthy relationships, but so, so many of us struggle to find them, and somehow the closer the relationships are, the more it seems like they're there. I think a big part of the problem we face is that we are often emotionally immature in the way we go about things, and today's a little bit of a look, a look at what we can actually go and do. Do about it. So, um, like we've been doing this whole series, we want to start with the end in mind. So, I'm going to invite you to please take out a cell phone or a pen and paper and open up a little notepad on your phone. You can go ahead and do it right now. Um, in a second or two, there'll be some music that starts playing, and you're going to answer three questions for yourself. And the questions are like this Picture two or three of your most important relationships, and what would you like them to be like in 2028? 20, That's five years' time, right? Nice to actually think of a date that we're hurtling towards. Maybe it's the early years of your parenting. Maybe it's the first years of empty nesting. Maybe it's a new work situation that you're in or a new city that you're living in. Maybe it's some friendship you want to work on. Maybe it's your one to five of marriage or your 30 to 35 of marriage. You pick the relationships and just ask yourself, what do I want those to look like in five years' time? Because of that, what's one thing I need to do differently? And lastly, and maybe you'll need the most time and space for this, what's one thing that you need a little bit of help with? I'm going to do the same thing. So music's going to play now, and we'll see you in three or four minutes to carry on chatting. But uh, we're on a we're on a path somewhere with our relationships. We're headed towards something. It may not feel like that. It may feel like these things, you know, uh, lack intentionality. But Andy Stanley says so brilliantly. Regularly, and we just did a a series during the week, a little course called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets, where the principle of the path is that we're headed towards something. And what we put in, the direction that we point ourselves in and how we daily act and interact leads our relationships down a certain path. And I think um, emotional health in our relationships, emotional maturity and health when it comes to our relationships is probably best described as an eardrum working really well. Um, and the reason that I want to talk about that is because um, 30 minutes into our flight to Cape Town last week, my eardrum burst, and it wasn't working very well. But it's a helpful analogy in that, you know, when the system's working properly, we have pressure that can move and air that can move both ways. Um, so we've got a little tube that goes from our nose, a eustachian tube along to the eardrum there, and we've got a little air canal going this way, and when you take off... The pressure moves from the inside to the outside. So your eardrum every few seconds is just bringing itself back to equilibrium. When we're in a healthy space with our relationships, when our emotions are in a healthy space, it's like we keep short accounts. We call things out quickly. We check in when things didn't go particularly well. And there's this regular equilibrium because we don't allow pressure just to build and build and build. Because otherwise what happens is what happened to me. We don't experience joy. We experience emotional vertigo and we don't experience pain-free we experience lots of pain and it's very uncomfortable and has long-lasting ramifications we know this now with our simple biology like an eardrum but it's so true of our relationships how many of us don't have the little conversation don't maintain connection don't fight for unity don't do the things we need to do to keep that system in regular equilibrium and we end up in a whole lot of pain and discomfort because of it how do we get out of that system? How do we keep equilibrium and stay emotional, emotionally healthy in our, in our in relational health? Well, we get invited this morning not to just do something different, but we get invited to come towards something and invited towards someone. And I want to start by saying first thought this morning is this. Emotionally mature and healthy relationships start with us being first in an emotional and healthy relationship with our God and our Creator and our Savior. See, Jesus' emotional maturity is something that is so underrated and under-talked about. But if you actually go and study his life, if you watch him and watch how he interacts with people, read the words that he says, see the situations that he's in, it's defined by this beautiful ability not to be shut down by his emotional immaturity and not to be overled by it, but to constantly be finding this beautiful, healthy, relational, and emotional equilibrium. So Jesus experienced ultimate pain but didn't let the pain define him, kept going back to his father. He experienced loneliness and betrayal by those closest to him, but he wasn't defining it and he didn't stay in it. He didn't lash out from it. Jesus didn't live under betrayal, didn't live under loneliness, didn't live under pain or anger. And even when he was trying to be caught out, he, he responded in love and grace and truth. He was in various parts of his life experiencing this tremendous Um, success and momentum in ministry. And even as the crowds gathered, he didn't get sucked into that either. No matter what Jesus was experiencing, he had this amazing equilibrium to be able to trust in his father and hear his voice and not get distracted by success or failure. He felt compassion for those in need. He forgave regularly. He had honest, hard conversations even when they were hurtful and hard to have. And he never lashed out and hurt others in his pain. And here's the amazing thing about the Christian faith, and in our invitation this morning and the starting point. Because if you can imagine those relationships in 2028 20, being so full of healthiness and life and vibrancy, that's what we all want, right? No one's sitting here this morning going, well, I hope those relationships are a little bit worse in five years' time. We all want them to be healthy. And so we're united in something, a quest for healthy relationships for those around us that we would love to see in our lives. The starting point is to be the beneficiaries and recipients of that same kind of love and health from Jesus. But his invitation to us is a two-parter. Because there's a lot of people who will call you to follow them in in their lives, overtly or covertly. There's lots of self-help and figures. There's lots of good advice out there. And so Jesus' first invitation is, come and watch me. Come and follow me. Come be an apprentice. And that in itself is magnificent. You watch him, how he deals with injustice. You watch him how he deals with people who are up against him. You watch him how he corrects people. He is a magnificent human to be able to follow and base your life on. But the beautiful thing about our faith is Jesus doesn't just invite us to follow an apprentice and become like him. Jesus also does something magnificent. And we learn this by reading the rest of the New Testament and looking back at the cross as the writers inspired by the Holy Spirit are trying to make sense of what actually happened when Jesus died, why it had to happen. Because there's this magnificent thing called the divine exchange, where not only are we invited to follow an external life from an apprentice, but we're invited to eat of the broken body of Jesus and drink of the bloodshed and accept that life as our own. We're invited to be hidden in Christ and have him hidden in us for the sake of his glory and for the benefit of others. And so we don't just get a come and learn from and study, we get a come and die and pick up my life. Come and think how I think because I want to put my mind in you. Come and feel and experience how I feel because I want to give you my heart. Come and receive the Holy Spirit because I have breathed out my last breath. And so Jesus' invitation to us is not just an external one of following, but an internal one of come and receive all the life I have for you. It's beautiful and magnificent. It's the gospel. Jesus would give up his life not just to try and repair yours, but to give you a new birth. He would give up his sonship for that moment to be able to go come and be adopted into my family. He would breathe out his last breath to make the spirit available to all those who would want it. It is so thorough and so comprehensive and the life that he invites us to, the love and the life of Jesus is the invitation this morning and every day. Come and eat it, come and drink of it, come and taste it and come and let it be your state of your soul. That's the gospel. If I wanna know how to lay my life down, For those who I love and how to lead and love others well, I see Jesus do it, but I get invited to that place as well. He is my example, but he is also my empowering. If I want to know how to follow well with humility, honor others even when it's hard, well, Jesus is my example of doing that as he goes to the cross and faces persecution, but he's also my empowering to be able to do that with a living, breathing heart, not to be shut down in those moments, but to actually be fully alive. I get to start this journey by receiving the emotionally healthy, robust, beautiful Jesus as my internal world and as my one to follow. Thanks, Helen. I knew you'd like that one. Thank you for encouraging me all the time. It's beautiful. Secondly, if we want emotionally healthy relationships, if we want to stay in that place, it's only possible when we align our pathway, when we align our vision with that of Jesus. And so I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 4, off the screen here now, this beautiful invitation that Paul is making to a church a whole lot like ours. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I'm urging you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Paul starts by going, don't forget, and he's painted this picture for three chapters. You've been called to something. You've been given an invitation. You've been accepted and welcomed into this beautiful new thing. Now I want you to walk as though you're worthy of that which to, you, to which you've been called, the life and the glory of Jesus. Well, what would that look like? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I'm going to jump for the sake of time to a few verses later, chapter 13, verse 13 of chapter 4. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. I want you to get to the point where you are so united together in the faith that you have and so aware of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Walk in a certain way, display the fruit of the Spirit, so that you can reach a certain kind of maturity, a certain kind of knowledge, and a certain kind of unity. And then verse 14, this will be the result. So we will no longer be tossed about like children. Children get thrown off by any new thoughts, by emotional turbulence, by things that they're not able to handle. Don't be like that. Don't be tossed to and fro by the ways and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness or deceitful schemes. But instead, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, into him who is the head, into Jesus, into Christ, from whom the whole body gets its being. A beautiful picture of what it looks like for our relationships to start being walked out in a manner worthy of that which we've already been given. It's a beautiful paradox, right? Why don't you become who you already are? Why don't you do what you already have? Why don't you open and experience the gift that you've already been given, not work your way there, not put a whole lot more effort in your your own imagination, your own way of thinking, but why don't you become the person that you already are, and here's what that might look like. And I just want to double click on a few of these things, because the invitation that we get to come and accept Jesus, to follow him, to become like him, is such a beautiful picture. He says, as you are growing into maturity, as the unity is bit be- more and more in the faith, as your knowledge of Jesus is becoming stronger and stronger, here's what it'll look like. Things like humility. Now, it's a little bit kind of cultural, right? Because if I think I'm really mature in Jesus, that my mind is really mature in thinking like him, that my soul is really mature in him, that I'm united in him, surely I'd be a little bit kind of proud and upstanding, like in my relationships, maybe I don't need to say sorry so much because I'm making mistakes, or maybe I don't need to own my junk and go, I shouldn't have reacted like that. And yet, one of the markers of maturity and knowledge and unity is this thing for humility. Knowing, to say, knowing that I need to say I'm sorry, knowing that I need help, knowing that I need to apologize and repent often is a mark of maturity and a mark of knowing Jesus and a mark of being united we operate so often in pride, right? I can make a long list of how they were wrong and how they need help and what they should be saying sorry for. But that's not a mark of maturity in Christ. Humility is. Well, how about gentleness? You want to know what it looks like to be mature in your knowledge of Jesus and your unity and in your love for others? Well, it looks like being gentle, soft hands in moments of conflict. Not running away from it, not being over-aggressive, not being hard-hearted, but actually staying soft-hearted in those moments. Now, what's irritating is it doesn't say when you're mature and know Jesus really well, there'll be no more conflict because everything will be perfect. It doesn't say that. It says there'll be things that are going to try and withdraw on you to ask you to not be humble or to not be gentle or to not be kind or to not be speaking the truth in love. And yet at that moment, the call to be doing those things is all the more important. Well, how about patience? This one's easy, right? The closer I am to someone, the more patience I have for them. Relationships are designed to make withdrawals on us for us to choose over and over again, I will be patient with my, and you can fill in the blank, my kid, my spouse, my colleague, my friend, my parents. And here's a little beautiful statement for us. I will never be asked to be more patient with that person than Jesus is with me every day. He is so patient and so gracious and so gentle and so humble in the way He approaches us. Well, how about bearing with one another in love, maintaining unity? What does the word bearing inspire in you? Bear with one another. Like, it doesn't seem like a smile. It seems like a little bit of a grimace, right? Like a fuss bait. How can maturity in Jesus and knowing Him so well and being so united Call on me to bear with one another in love. Well, welcome to other people, right? For the rest of your life, this is the invitation. Bear with one another in love. You have what you need to be able to do it. Maintain the unity. Don't set up teams. Say, so Helen and I are trying to figure out a problem. We've got a relational breakdown. Don't put the broken thing in the middle and have a tug of war where one of you is going to win and one of you is going to lose. Be on the same team, united, and go, how do we together, Helen, find unity and maintain unity by taking that thing on? But so many of us approach relationships like it's a tug-of-war. One of us is going to win and one of us is going to lose. The core from Ephesians is step up into bearing with one another in love and maintain the unity that I've given you in the spirit. Don't set up teams. Don't try to have a win-lose situation. Figure out how to be united. What will happen if we do this stuff? What will happen if we actually choose emotional maturity in these moments? Well, we won't be thrown around like children with bad thinking or bad feeling but instead, we will learn to be a people that speak the truth in love, They grow up into him who is the magnificent head of our relationships and of our body and of our church. And we will be a people that build each other up in love. It's the kind of people we want to be, right? The kind of relationships we want to have. And we wanted to wrap up this morning a little bit early and keep it a little bit short because we want to create a moment not just to be invited to follow Jesus and go, hey, be more patient, be more kind, be more gentle, be more humble. If you're anything like me, you need to once again come back to the presence of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, and eat and drink of him. Because man, oh man, we need gentleness first, right? I need to receive forgiveness, receive gentleness, receive that unity again, and then live and love out of it. Those things become a possible list to do when I have the life of Jesus in me. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and they're going to lead us in a moment. And I just want to explain to you how the next 10 or so minutes are going to work. You'll be either hopefully sitting next to you or sitting on that little cup of communion or there's a bunch on the windowsills around you. Maybe the people at the end of each row can grab and make sure that everyone in your row has got some. Um, I'm going to invite you to stay sitting and the band is going to start uh, leading us in worship. And then there's three ways that you can have communion Um, and be ministered to this morning. One is if you feel like primarily your business is with God, then when appropriate, um, open up that cracker and eat it, drink of the wine, and then stand and join us as we worship together. Take a moment on your own. But maybe second option, you're here with someone that you'd like to have communion with. Maybe they're on your list or they understand you or a whole lot of stuff like that and you'd actually like to pray together and communion together. That's perfectly great as well. Feel free to do that and then when you guys are finished, stand and worship. But lastly, at the end of the song, if you would like someone to pray with you and minister to you. Uh, we have an amazing prayer team who are all prepped and ready to be up here at the front after worship. And I just want to tell you, I trust these guys so much. They, we pray together uh, a couple times a month. They're full of the love of Jesus and they have so much to give away in terms of praying and ministering. If that's you and you'd like someone to do that, why don't you hold on to that cup? And at the end of worship, I'll jump up again and and everyone else who's done their business can go grab tea and coffee and have chats out there and leave this as a bit of a space to be ministered to up in the frontier. But why don't you, if you're in that group, bring your communion up to someone at the frontier and let them pray with you and lead you through communion where the main thing is to receive again the love and the life of Jesus. Does that make sense? Stay seated now. Have communion in whatever way you feel appropriate. And when you're ready, feel free to stand and worship uh, with the band. Thank you so much, guys.